going to be finishing up uh, Colossians chapter 3 and just getting into uh, chapter 4 here. And let's do the smart thing. Have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to uh, dig into your word, just pray your spirit would teach and we would listen, go before all things. And we're just thankful for the time, Lord, to hear what you have to say. In your name we pray. Amen. Covering a lot of different areas this morning, and they're bookend by two verses that are basically about the same. In Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jump down, if you're real, real quick, to verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Those are the two main verses. Whatever you do, everything you do is for the Lord. Now, he gives five examples in here of things that we're supposed to be doing for the Lord. First one that he gives us, verse 18, is about wives. Verse 19 is about husbands. Then verse 20 is about children. Then you've got fathers. And then you have work issues. Now, you're going to be hit by one of these. You're either probably a husband or a wife, or you have kids, or you still are, you know, your parents are around possibly, or you work, you have a job, or you're a boss. Somehow you're going to probably fall into this category. And what Paul is trying to say here is whatever you do, do it all for the Lord. There's no way around that. Whatever you do, you do everything for the Lord. Now, that is a tough thing to swallow because i think a lot of us do this subconsciously we are a christian we claim to be christians we claim to be born again but we have our our christian time and then we have our world time and a lot of times i see this where it's like you know i got to go to work so when i go to work i got to put the world on i don't know how many times i've heard people say well you know that's just the way you got to be that's the way they talk that's the way you got to talk that's the way they act that's the way you got to act and it's almost like we take off our christian hat at certain times and what this verse is saying here is verse 17 is whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you stop and think about that verse, that's pretty convicting is every single action I do for Jesus Christ. And is every single word that comes out of my mouth for Jesus Christ. That's a tough one to swallow. But that's what that verse is saying. And it's supposed to be doing it for Christ and jumping down to verse 23. You're supposed to be doing it heartily. For the passion for the Lord. Now, some of you probably have to go to work today. If not today, you probably have to go to work tomorrow. Now, why do you go to work? You go to work so that way you can get paid so you can pay your bills. That's why you go to work. Problem is, in our society, our job is what defines us. Ever notice this when you meet somebody after you make chit-chat with them for a little bit? One of the first questions you ask is, so what do you do for a living? And in our society, our job defines us. What God is trying to say here is that's not what defines you. Jesus Christ is what defines you. If you're a born-again believer in Christ, your job doesn't matter. Because you're a born-again believer in Christ. That is what defines you. And the problem is if, if somebody is, does not have a job, they feel been bad. Because what's everybody asked? So what do you do? Well, you know, I'm looking for something or something like that. And what happens is then we judge ourselves on our job. And God says you're not judged on your job. You're judged on Jesus. And so therefore, get this mindset. When you go to work tomorrow, you're going to work tomorrow to get paid to pay your bills. Why? So that way you can tell others about Jesus Christ. The work part takes care of the world part. I got to pay my bills, utilities, etc. But everything I do is for the Lord. And do you look at that mindset? Do you look at work as a paid opportunity to tell people about Christ? I know that sounds cliche and that sounds a little tacky, but isn't that the truth? 
You were getting paid to be there. Why not tell people about Christ while you're being there? You're going to be stuck around these people for hours. I remember when I used to work in the secular world, it was such an opportunity every single day, either through customers or through co-workers, to even drop little seeds like, you know what, that sounds like a tough situation. I'll pray for you. I remember one time when I was working over at Ottawa with Jason, we had this intern gal come in, and she was stuck with us. And I felt bad for this intern gal. She was probably in her early 20s in college, and her internship was she worked at the wastewater treatment plant in Ottawa. Now, Jason works there. I worked there. I didn't have a problem with it. It was fun, and I know it sounds weird, but it really was an enjoyable job. But here she was doing data entry at the wastewater plant, and it was kind of like this tag team thing. Jason would go talk to her for a little bit, and then I would go in and I would talk to her for a little bit. And it's kind of like, you know what, that was one of the most exciting days I ever had at quote-unquote work. Because all day I was like, Lord, we get to plant seeds into this girl's life. Now, I did my job. I took care of other stuff. But yet it was, Lord, I get an opportunity. This gal's stuck at the wastewater plant behind a desk. I'm going to tell her about you. What a wonderful opportunity it is to look at it from that mindset. Because whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what the point is. So with that background, that mindset, with these different opportunities God gives us, how do we do everything? Because I don't know about you, when I'm in the public persona of being a pastor, it's really easy for me to do everything for the Lord. Because that's what you guys expect out of me. You guys help keep me accountable. But when I go home and I'm with my kids and my wife, it's easy for me to slip out of that mode. It's easy for me to start slipping into when no one's around, I can finally be me. Well, then wait a second. If I can finally be me when no one's around, doesn't that make me a hypocrite when I'm in front of everybody else? Because I want to be the same witness I am at home as I am in the world. Because I don't want my kids to grow up thinking, boy, Dad's fake. So what do we do? Well, the first example God gives us here in verse 18 is whatever you do is, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Boy, submit is not a dirty word. Talk about a word that can cause tempers to raise and people to get frustrated. Is that word submit? Soon as that word pops up, men smile and women get ticked. You know, submit. You know, this is the only time I ever hear ungodly men quote the Bible. You know, you're supposed to submit. They don't even know where the verse is at. Submission is a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying that because I'm a guy. Submission is a beautiful thing. And you know who modeled submission better than anybody? Jesus. He is the picture of submission. He says, God, the Father, you want me to go to the cross? I'll go to the cross. I will submit to your will on that. Jesus said, you want me to go down and, and die for the sins of the world? I will submit to you on that. You want me to lay aside my heavenly crown and glory and walk amongst the humans? I will submit to you for that. So, gals, if you look and say submission, not fair, Jesus says, no, I've already modeled it for you. Here's the thing, though, that pops up. Here's the thing that pops up is a lot of times women come up to me privately, quietly, and they tell me this is what they struggle with more than anything else. Is I struggle with the submission. I struggle with submitting into my husband and what God wants. That's a tough thing. Now, but before we get into the role of wife and submission, it is imperative that we also quote this verse. You don't need to turn there because it's just one quick little verse. It's Ephesians 5.21. Well, we all know Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But Ephesians 5.21, the verse before that says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. 
See, husbands, we're also called to submit to our wives. But we don't hear that too often, do we? I submit to Dawn on a lot of things. There's a lot of times where, where Dawn says, James, could you please let that one go? Or James, could you please do this? And I will submit unto her. You know, there's a lot of times where things pop up. And maybe somebody says, hey, you want to get together? Yeah, it'd be great. Let's get together and have some fellowship. And they're like, alrighty, let's get together at 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. I got four kids. You know, I need to help Dawn get them around for bed. You know, I need to do things at home, etc. I need to submit unto my wife at that and say, hey, I know that works for you, but is there a better time that where we could both get together? I've used this example before. I remember when Dawn was pregnant with our second child, and uh, she was due in September. And there's these little pastor meetings that we have every now and then for the different Calvary Chapel pastors. And one of them was down on the Ohio River about three, four hours away. And I really wanted to go. I really enjoyed these. I really enjoy getting stuff out of them. It's a real blessing and encouragement. Dawn said, no. <laughs> she goes, if I go into labor and you're four hours away, makes sense. I submit unto my wife. That makes sense. You're right. I will let go of that passion that I have. I will let go of that desire. And I will stay close to home. That makes sense. So husbands, we also need to submit unto our wives at certain times. But generally speaking, that, that calling is to the woman. Now, let me share a couple points with you. It is really easy for a wife to submit if she has an on-fire, born-again, God-fearing husband. If her husband's a spiritual bum, it's really difficult to submit. I heard a great teaching by a pastor, and I'm going to share some of these points with you, and I give credit where credit's due. I wish I could say these are original, but they weren't. Point is, if I don't submit unto Dawn, I bring difficulty into her life. If Dawn doesn't submit unto me, she brings difficulty into my life. Most of the arguments that Dawn and I have are over tiny little things. Big stuff, we don't have problems with. We don't. It's the little tiny things. I'll share the last uh, argument that we have because I know you never think that Dawn and I argue. Um, we just pray and fast all day. Um, <laughs> It was, it was a while ago. She was making these CDs, and she was putting pictures on the CDs of our camera, you know, of all the kids and stuff. We had like 1,500 pictures or something. And so she came up and said, hey, would you be able to go through this and um, take a look at these and make sure everything's okay? I'm sitting there in the, in the kitchen, and I'm making my Nestle Quick. So why are you laughing at that? I like Nestle Quick. So I am making my Nestle Quick. I'm stirring it in and doing all that stuff. And she says, hey, would you be able to go through these? She points to the CDs. Now, one of the things I always tease Dawn about is that her life is full of pronouns. I said, just give me one noun. You know, don't say these. What are, what are you talking about? I didn't see what she was referring to. So I, I followed up with a question. You know what? You know, what do you want me to go through? So she, I want you to go through these. Still didn't see what she was pointing at. I'm still stirring my Nestle quick. So she says, fine, forget it. I'll take care of it on my own. What are you taking care of on your own? The CDs. You never told me about the CDs. I pointed to the CDs twice. Sorry, I'm having a flashback. But the point is, it's a tiny little thing. And the whole scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. But that's where it's like you see these little things start building up and building up and building up. And it's amazing how that whole situation could have been done differently. If she would have communicated with one noun. <laughs> if I would have stopped stirring my quick for two seconds. Who said yes? Shut up. You know... Things could have been so differently. Both of us had things that we should have, could have submitted on, and we didn't. See, here's the problem. I heard a pastor say this, and I thought this was a great quote. 
Your spouse is not your echo. Now, it took me a while to figure out what he was saying, but isn't that the truth? I want Dawn to think, feel, speak exactly the same way I do. I want an echo. She's not an echo. She's my counterpart. She's my companion, my helpmate. She is strong in the areas I'm weak in. And I'm strong in the areas that she's weak in. My heart, my wife has a much stronger heart for evangelism than I have. Her heart breaks over going into these towns and these areas here to see people get saved. She loves that. Her heart breaks for that. My wife is much stronger in devotions and prayer than I ever am. She'll make time for that, and I respect her for that. So there's areas that she's strong in that I'm weak in, and I see that. That's my counterpart that encourages me. But there's also areas where my wife is weak in where I'm stronger, and that's okay. It's my job to help her in those areas. And we have to help each other. We have to submit to each other. Turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2. You know, what it comes down to is, men, we make it hard for our wives to submit. If we were stronger spiritually, it'd be a lot easier. If we were setting that godly example, it'd be a lot, lot easier to do this type of stuff. If you go back to Genesis 2, and this is the thing about marriage. A lot of us don't realize this. Marriage predates the curse. Genesis 1, you have creation. Genesis 2 is a little more detailed about creation. Marriage is introduced. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. This is where everything falls apart. Adam and Eve sin. Everything goes downhill from here. Marriage was before the fall. Marriage is honorable. It's a beautiful thing. And in today's society we live in, marriage has been so pushed off to the side. It's almost archaic. It's almost something you think about afterwards. Well, maybe we'll think about getting married. Where marriage is one of the first things that God created was this institution of marriage. The Bible says it's an honorable, beautiful thing. The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. We were just talking yesterday at uh, the men's Bible store on Saturday morning about the importance of marriage. And you see how God intended it. It's supposed to be this beautiful thing right here. Verse 22 of Genesis uh, chapter 2, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought it her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's supposed to be this beautiful institution. Do you imagine marriage back in the Garden of Eden? No arguments, no fighting, no stress, no nothing. That's the way God originally intended it to be. Marriage is so important to the Lord, he says, this is actually a picture of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about that, that's a pretty powerful statement. So, therefore, when we downgrade marriage, we're really downgrading what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. Because marriage is supposed to be this beautiful thing. Marriage takes a lot of work, though. We don't think about work factor in the garden. Because work, you know, well, wait a second here, the fall hadn't happened yet. But look in Genesis 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now, look at verse 15 again. To tend it and keep it. Now, when last year, I believe it was last year, we did a three-part series on a, on a Sunday night about Genesis. And we went through Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3. And we did creation, fall of man, etc. And one of the points that came out of this was imagining gardening in the garden of Eden. Now, my wife and I finally have a fruitful garden. 
finally have a fruitful garden. But it's a fruitful garden that takes a whole lot of work. We had to put a fence up around the strawberries because the chickens were getting into the strawberries. Our corn has got all this stuff. You're constantly out there weeding things, doing stuff like that. It's a lot of work. It's fun for the first few minutes, but then it gets tough. Can you imagine tending and keeping a garden in the Garden of Eden? No thistles, no weeds, no mosquitoes biting you, no bugs like that. It'd be a beautiful thing. You ever see, I told you before I love infomercials. Have you ever seen those infomercials where they got that... Um, Oh, that rototiller thing. And they always show it digging up that dirt so simply. And the dirt looks like it's just sand. I mean, I could dig up dirt like that. Stick it in northwest Ohio clay and see what happens. It's work out here to dig the ground up, to plant the ground, to take care of it. So when you see tend it and keep it back here in verse 15, it was easy. It was actually a joy. I heard a pastor say one time, what would happen if we took that verse and applied it to marriage? Men, are you tending and keeping your marriage? Are you working at it? Are you pulling the weeds out of your marriage before they become a problem? Are you working the soil in your marriage to keep it soft and fruitful? Are you working at it? What happens a lot of times as men is we feel all the responsibility falls on the wife's shoulders. Well, she's responsible to get the kids up to take it to church. She's responsible to do the nightly devotions. She's responsible to make sure things fine. I'm the breadwinner, right? I'm the one that goes out and does this. I need to say I love you once and it covers 10 years. It's this mindset that happens, and what happens, to be quite honest, is men, if you're born again and saved here and you're married, a lot of times we become spiritual wimps. And we don't do what we're supposed to do when it comes to being men. We don't. And our wives will pick up the slack for us, and a lot of times we don't even know. My wife basically on Sunday mornings has to get all four kids around by herself, take them out here to church on her own, load them up and take them back. Because I get out here early and I stay late doing stuff. She puts so much time and effort and energy into that. God bless her for doing that. Now, a lot of times as men, couldn't we do more? Couldn't we help out? Yeah, that's the thing is, as men, sometimes we get it so easy, don't we? I know I do a good job at marriage counseling when the wife walks away thinking I was too hard on her and the husband walks away thinking it was too hard on him. Because if you stop and you think about it, there's a big responsibility on both of our parts. I remember one time distinctly eating supper with a guy and they were going through some marriage difficulties. And I remember him looking at me saying, this isn't fair. Most of the marriage falls on my shoulders. And it does. If you look in the Bible, wives are called to submit and to respect. Men, we got a whole laundry list of things we're supposed to do. Problem is we flip-flop it. We put most of the marriage on the wife's shoulders, where really it's supposed to be on our shoulders. Dawn gets these great little devotionals uh, by email from Family Life today, and I don't know if you get it or not either, but she got one recently. And it says, I'm telling you, Men just have it easier. Here are some examples someone sent me. This is about men. When you're a man, I thought some of these were cute. The garage is all yours. Wedding plans take care of themselves. You can never be pregnant. Uh, You have one mood all the time, usually. Phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. I thought that's true. You can open all your own jars. Your underwear is $8.95 for a three-pack. Uh, the same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. That's the truth. You only have to shave your face and neck. Um, <laughs> you can wear shorts no matter how your legs look. And you can do your nails with a pocket knife. 
And it says, see what I mean? The next time your wife seems too complicated for you, be patient with her. You didn't marry a man. You married her because she is different. Realize that her life comes with a lot of stuff you don't have to put up with. Take the time to genuinely listen and understand because God created her as a gift for you. Look at the next verse here in Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Bitter. You know how many husbands I see that are bitter towards their wives? Bitter because they ask too much of me. Bitter because she's always on me to do something. Bitter because she wants this or wants that. Now, she may be wrong for nagging. You've heard me say out here a lot of times when it comes to nagging, especially to women, say it and pray it. You say it and then you give it over to the Lord. It doesn't do any good to say it a thousand times over and over. But here's the problem, men. Why is she saying it a thousand times over and over? Because if you do it the first time, she wouldn't have to say it the second time. It's that simple. But yet what happens is men, we become bitter. You're taking up my time. You're taking up my space. You know, and this is what happens is men reach this point of, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I wanted marriage, all the fun stuff. But now there's the kids and this and that. And what happens is men, we become bitter towards our wives. What did God ask us to do as husbands? Love them. Unconditional love. I always ask this question during premarital counseling. It's a trick question. Women, why do you love your husbands or your fiance? And and men, why do you love her? And they usually give some nice answer of, well, I love him because he's so nice to me. I love him because he does this. Or I love her because she's so pretty. I love her because of this. And the answer is you love your wife, you love your husband because God told you to. It's that simple. There's going to be times when your wife is not pretty. There's going to be times when your husband is not kind. That's a fact. And God says, love them. And that's why God's command to husbands in verse 19, love your wives. That's a command. Now, wives, I know you like to sit there and think, well, why do they have to be told to love us? We struggle with that. It doesn't mean that we don't love you. We struggle with that love of, what's what I'm looking for? Sacrificial love. See, Jesus set the example for us. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. I'm willing to die for my wife. And as men, we say, yeah, I'd be willing to die. Okay, but are you willing to die to the fact of dying by doing dishes? Dying by helping with the laundry? Dying by getting up at three with the baby. See, we're, we're willing to physically die. <laughs> but don't make me do dishes. You know, that's, that's the death I don't want. <laughs> Gosh. You know, your wife's still in here, Jonathan. I just want to let you know that. Um, but the point is, are we willing to die and love in that way? Because men, we can become very bitter towards our wives. We can become very bitter towards our wives. And you know, the thing is here, do you realize when the curse came... In Genesis 3, roles didn't change. Eve was asked to submit unto Adam even before the fall. See, we always think of the curse as part of the curse is the women have to submit to men. No, it was already designed beforehand. The problem was sin just made it harder. Before the fall, submission from the wife to the husband was a beautiful calling. Because Adam was a spiritual giant. Once sin came into the world... The same calling was there. Wives submit. It just became harder because wives are dealing with a sinful, fallen man. And men, why do we get bitter towards our wives? Because we're dealing with a sinful, fallen woman. What is marriage? Two imperfect people deciding to live together. That's crazy. That's why Christ has to be the foundation of everything there. Because men, we make it hard for our wives. We do. We do. Men, if we were stronger spiritually... It'd be easy for our wives. That's the truth. You know, and wives, 
if you would realize that that idea of, of submitting unto your husband is not a curse, but it's the way God designed through Christ, and that can be a blessing and be a beautiful thing. Now, I think it's important to note here, verse 18, wives submit unto your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If the husband's asking you to do something unbiblically or wrong, then no, you obviously are under no obligation for that. None. And if he's going to get ticked about that, that's his fault. Because you're under the obligation to Christ first. The way my life works is Jesus is number one, then Dawn, then my kids, and then the church. So I submit unto Christ first, then I submit unto my wife, and then I want to do a good job raising my children. Which takes us to the next one here. Because what happens is men, if we're not loving our wives and becoming bitter towards them, isn't that going to affect kids? Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Once again, now I know a lot of times we don't have the young kids in here, but we do have some children in here. My rule has always been, very simply put, if you are living in your parents' house, you are subject to your parents' rules. Very simply put. And, you know, that's not a James rule. That's, I think, a God-ordained thing. Obey your parents in all things. Isn't it amazing how kids, when they reach a point of maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, they start figuring everything out? And they start realizing how dumb their parents are? You know, for me, I got married, I got married when I was 19. And so I realized very early my parents are the smartest people I've ever met. Because I was into life at 19 trying to work and go to school, etc. And it's like, you know what? I went to them a lot of times for advice. Because I realized the wisdom that's there. So children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Very simply put, when the kids obey the parents, it makes God happy. You want peace in the house? Can you imagine how peaceful the house would be if verse 18, the wife submit, verse 19, the husband's love, and verse 20, the children obey? Now, we sit there and think, okay, that's a great idea. Come on, guys, it does work. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't lie. See, the thing is, if we look at verses 18, 19, and 20 and say, well, that's great. That's a great idea. The practicality is, no. Do you believe that this works if we follow verses 18, 19, and 20? Now, the problem is this is a well-oiled machine. You take one part of that machine out, it does get really rough. If you have a wife that's a God-fearing woman that wants to honor her husband and submit, but her husband's a spiritual bum, that's tough. If you have parents that really want to love each other, but they're not doing a good job of raising the kids in verse 20, that's tough. Or maybe you have a God-fearing husband, and he wants to really love his wife, but the wife wants nothing to do with the Lord. That's tough. And that's a whole other subject there. And I don't know how many times I've told people, 1 Peter 3, wives, that your life can help impact the unbelieving husband. 1 Corinthians, husbands, your life can help impact the unbelieving wife. It happens. It works. But the point of this message isn't necessarily marriage. It's putting this all together. Because look at the next one, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Boy, I've seen dads provoke their kids. I have seen dads put a tougher burden on their children than what God does. I have seen parents work their kids so hard that if that kid doesn't do absolutely everything perfect, he's provoking his child. And you know what? I'm guilty of this sometimes. Dawn usually tells me, she goes, remember, your kids are five and three and one and a few months old. I'm expecting perfection. You know why I expect perfection? I expect perfection because you guys expect perfection. Because I'm the pastor. Right? So I'm going to raise my kids perfect. My kid's never going to screw up. My kid's five years old. He's never sinned, right? My kid, you know what happened this morning? My oldest one, Elias, this morning was in tears in the foyer because he was so scared to go to class. 
And we said, now, come on, Elias. It's Mrs. Stuxolty. It's Mrs. Gherkin. You know them. We actually got the directory out last night and said, this is Mrs. Stuxolty. This is Mrs. Gherkin. We've been praying about this all week. Now, this is the pastor's kid that's in tears in the foyer because he doesn't want to go to class. My kids have sin nature. Just the other day, Judah and Kenan, number two and number three, Kenan was going to sit in Judah's chair. So Judah goes over to Kenan and yells at him in his face, Kenan, no. Now, where did Judah learn to do that? Probably from mom and dad. So what is Kenan's great response? He just hits Judah. You know, that's just, my kids have sin nature. And see, what happens is people say, well, it's the pastor. They expect perfection. See, Dawn and I will do the best we can to raise our kids in a godly manner and raise them in Jesus Christ. But my kids also will struggle with sin just like your kids struggle with sin. And I'm going to struggle with as a father to not provoke them because I know the burden. You know, I know what's going to happen as time goes older. Well, you know, that's James. That's Pastor James's kid. You know, so he should have the whole Bible memorized by now. And so, Dawn, it's true. Shut up. (laughs) You know, so what it comes down to is, you know, what happens a lot of this time is that there is an unfair expectation on all of us. So let's just get it all right out, out, out in the open here. I don't have a perfect marriage. I love my wife with all my heart. She's the most amazing, beautiful woman I've ever met. But her and I argue sometimes over stuff. I'm not the perfect husband. I'll admit that. My kids aren't the perfect kids. They're sin in the urban household, just like they're sin in your household. But the problem is we come into church and we want everything to look perfect, right? So everybody sit, be nice. You can have an argument 30 foot out the door, but you'll come in and say, praise Jesus. You know, we put on a fake facade a lot of the times. We, oh, we don't struggle with submission and love and obeying and provoking. Oh, come on. Come on. We all struggle with this stuff. So that's why we have to pray for each other, encourage each other, uplift each other. If your marriage is hurting, let somebody know so that way they can pray for you and encourage you. If you're having problems with your kids, come let us know so that way we can have somebody come encourage you and talk to you. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but we're going to encourage you. Because you know what? You look at some of these marriages out here, and it's like, oh, they have it all figured out. No, they don't. You look at the perfect kids. They got it all figured out. No, they don't. We're all in different paths in our walk with the Lord. And we all struggle with the wives, the husbands, the children, the provoking. That's why verses 17 and 23, whatever we do, we do for the Lord. Now, we need to finish this up here as we're running out of time. And you may say, okay, well, I may not be married. I may not have kids or I may not be married anymore. This stuff doesn't apply, etc." But that's the beauty of God's word. There's always application because you may not be in that state of marriage or whatever, but you know somebody who is. You're going to run into somebody who's having marriage difficulties. You're going to run into somebody who's having kid difficulties. You give them the truth of God's word. It's amazing how simple it is to quiet a husband who complains about his wife so often where you just say, hey, are you loving her as Christ loved the church? Well, no. Well, then maybe if you loved her as Christ loved the church, maybe things would be different. Or, or to the wife that complains about the husband, hey, you know, are you submitting and respecting your husband as the godly leader of the house? Well, no, he doesn't deserve it. Well, of course he doesn't deserve it, but God still asks you to do that. You know, that's the thing is, let's get back to the basics of the scriptures here on what everything works. So let's go to the next one here. Verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, obviously back during Bible times here 2,000 years ago, they had this uh, uh, bond servant set up where someone could go work for a man. It was basically considered a servant slash slave. 
and we could get into more detail that if we had more time. But what's the application for us today? Well, a lot of times when people look at this, say this is a good example of you and your employer. Now, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not by service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Let me ask you this. What do you think of your boss? Now, what do you say about your boss? It goes back to that first point we said. Isn't it amazing as Christians we take off our hat? You know, we go into work and we complain just like everybody else about the boss. We complain just about everybody else about the business and what they're doing. We whine about this. We complain about that. I can't believe we're doing that. We have our little gossip session over here, etc. That really hurts our witness. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a complaint against your boss. Some of you probably really have people that should not be in a leadership position over you. But at the same time, too, God is saying, wait a second, why are you working there? You're working there for me, not for you. You're working there for me. And some of you may be in a very difficult job, very difficult job. It may be stressful. It may be tense. It may be in a really dark time. God may say, James, or or whoever, I put you in that place to be a light in this dark time. So often when the ship starts sinking, we want to jump. Now, God says sometimes leave. You need to leave. Be obedient. But sometimes God says, no. I put you as a light in this dark area. So when everybody else is freaking out and panicking and yelling and complaining, you're the one that can be the calm, the light to say, hey, there's a bigger perspective going on here. And you can really shine for Christ. Problem is we get pulled down with it just like that. And you may be saying once again, James, you don't know what my co-workers and boss is like. Look at verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Next time someone asks you, what do you do for a living? You serve the Lord Christ. I happen to get paid by doing this job, but I serve the Lord Christ. That totally changes your perspective. Your job does not define you. Jesus is what defines you. You serve the Lord Christ. But, verse 25... He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Now, this is not one of those verses to get you excited. Oh, my boss is going to get it one day. No, that's not the purpose of that. Oh, that co-worker that always is lazy and slides by one of these days, he's going to get it. No, God is just stating a point. The truth will come out. I'm a firm believer in that. The truth will come out, and there is not a partiality. And if somebody does wrong, there is a time where that wrong will be noticed and will be punished, if not in this world, but also for all of eternity. And so, therefore, you have to stop and you say, "Okay, it's not my responsibility, verse 25, to make sure all the wrongs get punished. I know a lot of Christians that feel like it's their job to make sure every wrong is pointed out of somebody. The Lord will take care of that. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't look over sin. Don't, you know, put it under the rug. I don't mean that at all. But you know what? You've got a boss that's not a good boss. Don't get noticed. You serve the Lord Christ. Do the best job you can under the circumstances you have. Now, what happens if you're in leadership? Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. See, that's the thing. is, you're in a leadership position, you're just a servant because you have a master in heaven. Haven't you ever seen those people that get promoted and they should not be promoted? See, they need to remember they have a master in heaven. It's amazing what a little bit of power can do to somebody. A little bit of power can do to somebody. And it's amazing how quickly God can put us in his place to say, you know what, you think you're all that? Everybody's replaceable. Everybody's replaceable. I took a few days off this week. We did some stuff, so Jonathan 
Jonathan filled in um, for me on Wednesday night, and I got a chance to listen uh, to the message. And uh, Jonathan, you in here? Obviously, I told you, very, very good job. That was very well done. I encourage you guys to get to listen to it. The only problem I would have with Jonathan's message is it was too good. I started realizing he, he taught that better than I could have taught that. And I thought, wow, he just had better points, better everything. And I thought, okay, that's fine. It's the same Holy Spirit. And then someone came up to me. And it's, Travis, are you in here? No, Travis isn't here. Did Travis play drums Wednesday? Someone came up to me and said, boy, Travis did a really good job at drums Wednesday. Now, either Chris or I normally play drums on Wednesday. And I know he was not saying Travis was better than Christian. Travis was better than James. And so I reached a point of, okay, I'm totally replaceable. I could miss every Wednesday and no one would even notice. Jonathan does a better job teaching. Travis does a better job playing drums. How many of you even knew I was gone? Probably nobody. You probably listened to the message online. It's like, wow, this is really good finally. Um, But the point is, I don't even know what the point is. But the point is, we're all replaceable. That's the beauty of it. You know, when when Moses was done leading Israel, Joshua took over and there was not even a a blip in the radar screen. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that led Moses is the same Holy Spirit that led Joshua. And and that's what happens any time in serving is, you know, there's always a master in heaven. And any type of church thing, it's hopefully the same Holy Spirit's leading this person, the same Holy Spirit's going to be leading that person. And so we have to remember putting this all together now. Let's finish this up. Verse 17, whatever you do, it's for the Lord. If that's all you get out of today, that's great. Whatever you do, it's for the Lord. Be it at home as a wife or as a husband or as a child or raising your kids, as a worker or as a boss, you're doing it for the Lord, no one else. And you do it heartily for the Lord. You do it in all things, all things. So often we feel like we can take the hat off and say, okay, I don't have to act like a Christian now. No, in all things we serve the Lord. Are you the same witness at work as you are at home, as you are at church? Do the same words come out of your mouth that you do at home, that you do at church, that you do at work? The way you treat your kids, the same way at home and at work and at church. Is there a consistency? Because look at this word right here. Where was it at here? Verse 22. Not with eye service as men pleasers. You know how easy it is to look good when somebody's watching. That's what it's talking about. But the next point is in sincerity of heart, fearing God. No one else may see what I'm doing. No one else may see. No one else may ever know. But Lord, out of respect for you, out of fear for you, I want to do what's right, holy, and pure and just because you will see. Not just because my boss may be walking by, not just because another employee may be walking by, or my wife, or my kids, or the husband, or the pastor, whoever. I want to be in sincerity of heart, serving you always, all the time, and all that we do and all that we say. That's the point of it. Because when you have that life, it really just starts to flow. I was just got done reading through Proverbs, and there's this great Proverbs about talking about being bold like a lion. And the one commentary on that basically said, when you're doing what is right, you can be bold because you're not afraid of who's going to see and what they're going to see. You don't have to hide anything. You don't have stuck stuff hidden under the mattress or on the computer or things like that. No one can. You can come look into the life of that person and say, be bold. And because, you know what? I have nothing to hide. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ with everything I have and sincerity of heart. What a goal to obtain, to be that type of light, to be that type of witness in all ways and all things. Marv, we've come forward here for the final song. 
Just want to remind you of a couple things here as we get ready to close up. Uh, Pastor Renee is going to be leading up a prayer time here after church um, for Belmore. Please keep Belmore in prayer tonight, Monday and Tuesday. Don't forget, church will be unlocked 8 to 8 through this week to drop off stuff for garage sale giveaway. Keep that in prayer Friday and Saturday. Don't forget, Friday and Saturday is also the uh, uh, father-son camp outing. Sign-up sheet's back there. Saturday is the golf outing. 